Well, good morning, uh, Christ Central. My name is Timothy, as Daniel said, one of the pastors here, and uh, excited to be with you this morning as we begin a new sermon series uh, that we're going to begin here leading into Advent as we look at the life of Elijah. Uh, now, I realize that may seem like a strange choice uh, in terms of our next sermon series, but I do want you to know that here at Christ Central, we make a point to preach from the whole Bible, uh, not just the New Testament. We believe, to quote the Apostle Paul, that all of Scripture, all of Scripture is profit- profitable, Ooh, rough start, uh, profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so I want to give you a little bit of context as we prepare to jump in to our text this morning. Like I said before, Elijah is a prophet. What that means is that Elijah is a man that God has raised up to speak for him against the evil that is going on in the nation of Israel. And the evil that God has called Elijah to speak against is the evil that's being cultivated by the wicked King Ahab. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to watch as these two go at it, an epic battle of sorts. Elijah versus Ahab to see who, whose God is greater. And so at this time, I'd like to invite you now uh, to stand, as is our custom, for the reading of God's Word. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 6. This is God's Word. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. The prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. And we ask that you would speak to us this morning through this Old Testament text as we begin to study the life of one of your great prophets of Elijah. God, help us to see how you are speaking to us through this text. Give me the courage to get out of your way so that you might speak to us and to our hearts this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As Daniel just mentioned and as we prayed about, uh, this past week was a tragic week at the University of North Carolina. Tragic loss of life. And in response to that, uh, the university declared a wellness day, canceled all classes and encouraged their students to focus on their mental health. 
And as I observed this happening, I wanted so desperately to believe that this problem was isolated to the University of North Carolina. But the truth is that all of us are dealing with the backlash of two really hard years. It seems like not just the students at UNC, but really our whole country, maybe our whole world could use some wellness days. Yesterday, our presbytery gathered here in this sanctuary, pastors from 26 different churches scattered across Eastern Carolina, and throughout the day I heard the same story over and over again. Pastors talked about how their people are hurting, and many in the face of great hurt and loss and pain are leaving the church. And this is why I think this sermon series comes at the exact right time, because here in First King, God is writing to a people who are like us, deeply hurting. This time in the life of the nation of Israel is rather dark. Listen to the words of First King 16 as we get a picture of what is happening in Israel. It says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. He took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria, and Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Don't miss this. Ahab is the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and the first six were pretty terrible themselves, but the text says that Ahab was the worst of all. There's no question that life under King Ahab probably felt a little bit like 2021. Yet in the midst of great trials, here in chapter 17, we see a glimmer of hope. Out of nowhere comes this man, this man named Elijah. And you can't help but wonder, maybe he's the one who's going to finally bring God's people out of all this suffering. And if there's hope for God's people in the face of such great tribulation and first kings, then maybe, just maybe, there's hope for you and me in the tribulation that we're facing today. There's three things that I want to draw your attention to from our text this morning, three things that I think should give us all hope. First, God is at work. Secondly, God works in mysterious ways. And then lastly, God works through certain kinds of people. First, God is at work. One of the things that has made this pandemic so tricky is the ability for the coronavirus to move so rapidly while yet undetected. If you've had to go through the rigmarole of contact tracing, you understand this all too well. It's, it's a nightmare to try to figure out who might have been exposed to you before you knew that you were exposed and discern all the ways that the virus has spread before you knew that it was present. The problem with COVID-19 is that you just can't see it, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. I think our text would argue that we should view God in much the same way. Just because we can't see him doesn't mean that he's not there. I think the evidence of that in 1 Kings 17 is found in what is not said rather than what is said. 
want you to put yourself in the shoes of, of God's people here. King Ahab is wreaking havoc, and there appears to be no end in sight. And you're, you're, you're probably praying. You might be fasting. You're, you're crying out for God to come and rescue, and all you hear back is silence. Why isn't God doing anything about all this injustice? And then all of a sudden, wham, this prophet appears out of nowhere. And he waltzes right up to the king and delivers God's message of judgment to him. Yet prior to this moment, God's people had never even heard of Elijah. They had no idea that God was raising up this man, preparing him for this very moment. They couldn't see it. But God was working all along, behind the scenes, working out his plan of deliverance. I wonder how many of you can relate to that feeling of being in the valley and feeling as though God has abandoned you. He's forgotten you, lost sight of you, or maybe he just stopped caring. Maybe you feel that right now, that God has abandoned you and he's not coming back. My youngest daughter has at times struggled with attachment issues. You see this most vividly at preschool drop-off. But what's, what's really cool is that my wife discovered that there's one simple phrase that she can say to my daughter that puts her at ease and allows her to, to go to school and enjoy her day. And that phrase that she says, and she now says it every day, is, Mommy always comes back. Mommy always comes back. Those four simple words are all that my daughter needs to hear. I love how one commentator speaks about our text. He says, for Elijah to appear so suddenly reminds us that we need not despair when we see great movements of evil achieving spectacular success on earth, for we may be sure that God, in unexpected places, has already secretly prepared his counter-movement. The situation is never hopeless where God is concerned. Whenever evil flourishes, it always is a superficial flourish. For at the height of triumph of evil, God will be there, ready with his man and his movement and his plans to ensure that his own cause will never fail. What the scriptures reveal is that no matter how bad it looks, no matter how far we've strained even, God always comes back. For his people. God is at work. The second thing that our text reveals is that God works in mysterious ways. If you ever get the chance, I highly recommend you read one of the biographies on the late George Mueller. His biographies are full of stories of God showing up in mysterious ways. Mueller lived in the 19th century in, in England and is best known for these orphanages that he operated. And the amazing thing about Mueller's orphanages is that he never told anyone but God what the needs were for the children. He tells one story of the orphanage running out of food and how he gathered all 300 children in the dining hall and he prayed. And then the baker shows up and knocks on the door and says that he couldn't sleep all night. He just knew he was supposed to bring this bread in the morning. And then immediately after that, the milkman's cart, it breaks 
right out in front of the school, and the milkman knows that the milk is going to spoil, so he just donates that milk to the orphanage anyway. The work that we see that God do in the life of Elijah is similar to that of Mueller. Israel is in the midst of of a drought, and God directs Elijah to a top-secret source of water. And if that isn't cool enough by itself, the text says that, that God commanded the ravens to bring Elijah bread and meat in the morning and the evening. That's pretty good room service, if you ask me. Now, scholars debate how this played out, but clearly the point of the text is that God provided for Elijah in a supernatural way. Yet here we are in in the West, and we really struggle with this idea, don't we? That God works supernaturally. We'd much rather believe in something that we can wrap our minds around, that we can put in a nice, neat little box. But what we see here just doesn't fit in a box, does it? Ravens bringing food to a man in the middle of the wilderness. What the text says is that God shows up in extraordinary ways. Do you believe that your God works like that? I think the real answer to that question shows up in our prayer lives. Does the content of your prayers reveal that you believe that God is able and willing to do the impossible? I think some of us need to take out a page out of Mueller's playbook and add some impossible prayers to our prayer list. Some things that unless God shows up couldn't possibly happen. Because what our text makes clear is that our God works in ways that are beyond our imagination. But there's more here in our text in terms of how God works in mysterious ways. I think a very lazy way to read this text is to assume that when life gets hard, that God's just going to send some ravens carrying breakfast and dinner. We all know that's not how it works, nor is it even how it works in the text. Look again at verse 1. Elijah, at God's instruction, institutes a drought. And although God certainly preserves Elijah in this moment, we have to assume that countless others of God's people did not fare as well as Elijah. That's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? That although God is taking care of Elijah in this moment, At the very same time, that same God is orchestrating suffering for many. None of us enjoy suffering. And yet if you've walked with God for some time, I think you probably would admit that suffering is one of the most formational things that happens in the life of a Christian. I so wish this weren't the case, but the truth is that the times in my life that I've felt closest to God have been the times of my greatest suffering. Anyone else relate to that? It's through life's greatest trials that I've found myself clinging to God most tightly. I have a love-hate relationship with this C.S. Lewis quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks in our conscience, 
but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Our text teaches us that God is always at work, that he works in mysterious ways, and sometimes those mysterious ways include suffering. Church, what would it look like for you to consider how God may still be present, may still be at work in the midst of your suffering? To consider that maybe your suffering does not mean that God has hung you out to dry that he's left you to fend for yourself, but rather that he is with you and working through your pain for your glory, for his glory, and for your good. Because that's what the text reveals, that God works in mysterious ways, sometimes miraculous, sometimes painful, but always for our good. Last but not least, our text reveals that God works through certain types of people. One of the strangest parts of public speaking for me is the introduction. Right before you go on stage, someone will stand before the audience and rattle off the list of your credentials, of your greatest accomplishments. And the point of this is to convince the audience that the speaker is accomplished enough to deserve your attention. And no doubt we see this practice in the scriptures, all over the place, but for some reason, not here. Look again at verse 1, to Elijah's credentials. It says, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead. That's it. We get where he's from and nothing else. Not who his family is, not anything that he's accomplished, no accounting of his seminary degrees, nor the miracles that he has performed to date, nothing. Why is that? Why does God give us so little information about this man, Elijah? The only logical explanation is that, according to God, who Elijah is doesn't matter. God is declaring through his silence that the personhood of Elijah is utterly insignificant. Not many of the Old Testament's prophets get airtime in the New Testament, but this one does, Elijah does. Probably not in the way he was hoping, though. Listen to how James talks about this famous prophet. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. James wants to draw our attention to the fact that Elijah is just like us. Christ Central, don't don't miss this. Over the next six weeks, we're going to see some extraordinary things that Elijah accomplished for God. And you're going to be tempted to assume that you are nothing like him, that God could never use you like that. And that is, yet that is exactly the message of 1 Kings 17, that God is in the business of using ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. Back in 2005, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia to start a ministry to fraternity guys at Georgia Tech through a ministry called The Navigators. And I started working first in the Theta Chi house as a fraternity that I was a part of in college. And I just kind of barged into this fraternity house and started talking to these guys about 
whatever they wanted to talk about. And after a couple months of small talk, I felt like God was calling me to start a Bible study. So I announced the Bible study deep down knowing that nobody was going to show up. And I'll never forget, I was about to leave my apartment, heading to the Bible study, and I just stuffed as many Bibles as I could in my backpack and, and headed down to the fraternity house, and I sat down in the dining room, and I started to pray, mostly out of fear, not, not out of faith, scared to death. And one by one, the guys started showing up, and at the end, there were 13 guys who showed up for this first Bible study, way more than I could have ever dreamed of. And the reason I remember the number of, of men that showed up is because I had exactly 13 Bibles in my backpack. Just one of the ways that God was reminding me that he was the one that was doing the work. A few months ago, I got a Facebook message from one of those guys, 16 years later, talking about how that Bible study changed his life. Every time it happens, I marvel at how God can use a nobody like me to change someone's life. Church, he wants to use nobodies like you as well. It was a little misleading before in terms of Elijah's bio. We actually do get one important piece of information about him. You see, in the Bible, names mean a lot. And Elijah's is no exception. You know what Elijah's name means? It literally translates, my God is Yahweh. That's the type of people that God uses. Not gifted, not accomplished, not even necessarily that good, but rather people who declare that Yahweh, that the God of the Bible is my God. If that's true of you, You're just the type of person that God delights to use to transform lives. Church, God is at work. And no offense, he wants to use ordinary people like you. It was a tragic week at UNC last week. And I certainly commend UNC for wanting to care for its students. But the truth is what they need, what we all need, It's not a wellness day. What we need is a renewed belief that in the midst of all this, that our God is still at work, that he is at work supernaturally, that he is at work in our suffering, and that he works through ordinary people like you and like me. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are at work that this move of of you has little to do with us, that you are drawing people to yourself, that you are pursuing the lost, that you are transforming this city that we love and live in. Father, it's been hard to see that over the past couple years. Life has been tough. And it's easy to assume or to think that you have abandoned us, that you've forgotten about us. But Father, we thank you for stories like this, the, these beautiful Old Testament narratives that remind us that in the midst of it all, you are still on your throne. You are still at work, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are true. God, help us to believe that a little bit more today.
in Jesus' name. Amen.